You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Got a lot to get to here in game week number five of Penn State season. It's going to take us into October. October 1st, this Saturday, Northwestern coming to town. Penn State getting into it with Big Ten action, of course, opened up with conference play. That road went at Purdue, but now it's nothing but conference play all the way through Thanksgiving. Northwestern really struggling thus far this season. We'll talk about them a bit this episode, really get into the Wildcats uh, more later in the week uh, with someone who covers that program. Talk a little bit about that before we talk about our predictions, but that's next episode. This time it's Tuesday, which means we're pretty fresh out of James Franklin's weekly press conference. And it also means Daniel Gallen is going to join us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. And Daniel and I sat alongside each other in the media room at Beaver Stadium uh, this afternoon. And so got a few things to take away from it regarding some player availability, some commentary on a couple of different players and some new things to work with. And some player calls today provide us with that perspective as well. We've been tracking uh, all the player calls, all the coach conversations over at lines247.com on a weekly basis. Uh, check that out. Our thread going on the message board right now uh, for what we're hearing heading into this Northwestern matchup. We'll have this for every single game week. Daniel, uh, let's start with the fact that Penn State, 4-0, number 11 in the country, uh, but desiring improvement, desiring some corrections coming off of relatively lackluster win, 33-14 to against Central Michigan. And I think that was kind of the tone today. Uh, James Franklin seemed pretty pretty happy, uh, you know, pr- pretty positive. Uh, but I think there's no doubt about it that they, they want to make an emphasis this week and go into the bye week playing clean football. It, it felt like one of the the looser James Franklin uh, news conferences that that we've had this year. Uh, a lot of joking, a lot of laughing, um, and I think that's easy to do when you're four and zero. You're number eleven in the country. Not a lot of people that were in the room today probably thought that Penn State would be at that point at this point, uh, except for James Franklin, I guess. Um, so it was just kind of a very you know light atmosphere, but you can tell that there's things that he wants to see cleaned up. Um, and I think we really went through that Central Michigan game in terms of, you know, it was a good win in terms of what you saw on the scoreboard, the box score. Um, it looks like they took care of business, but watching it, um, you saw some areas that, that needed to be cleaned up. Um, and I think that we got some insight today into, you know, how this team might look different, um, why, I think, why we saw certain things on, on Saturday and kind of what the overall health is uh, going into this Northwestern game. Uh, and then with what looms uh, after the bye week later in October. We talked about this on Monday's podcast when we took another long look back at at the Central Michigan matchup, but looking ahead a bit, Penn State 25-plus point favorite for the third consecutive – I'm sorry, for the third time this this season. uh, Already took care of that business against Ohio. Did not cover that spread against Central Michigan. Again, a huge favorite, though, against a Big Ten opponent, the kind of – margin uh, for victory anticipated that you don't see often in conference play, especially against a program that every other year, it seems, is competing to, to be in Indianapolis as the Big Ten title representative on the West. And, and Daniel, let's get into this with Northwestern a bit. James Franklin always leads off his Tuesday press conferences with a tip of the cap to the opponent. He's going to say a lot of respectful things, but the clear issue here is uh, Nebraska must be really bad because because they beat Nebraska. They did it over in Dublin. 
Nebraska has since fired their their coach, and Northwestern has since not won a game. And the opposing group that they have lost against has not been impressive. Most notably, uh, most recently, Miami of Ohio, and I'd say most notably, uh, Southern Illinois. And it has been a real rough going for a team that's got to come to uh, Beaver Stadium against a highly ranked opponent. Definitely. I mean, you go, you look at when James Franklin highlights uh, those guys, and I try to do my my players to watch uh, before uh, James Franklin's Tuesday press conference, and I'm always kind of interested to see if if the guys who stand out to me based on what I've read and looking at the stat sheet match up with the guys that that James Franklin has singled out. Um, I got a lot of them right today. Missed on the long snapper. Um, that was a, a good shout out from from James Franklin. But I think that when you look at the who's getting used the most on this offense, you look at Evan Hull, uh, the running back. Uh, he was a 1,000-yard rusher last year. But this year, the stats that really catch out are his receptions. Uh, he has 20, I think he's 29 receptions through four games this year. Last year, he only had 33 for the whole season. Um, Northwestern is running a lot of plays right now. Um, when you talk about the up-tempo offense, I think that we saw this with Penn State at times last year is that, you know, it means that you can move the ball pretty quickly, but it also means that you can get off the field a, a lot quicker than than you want to or your defense might want to. So I think that Northwestern, like in kind of classic Northwestern fashion, they have some of these good prospects. I mean, Peter Skaronsky, um is a is a top prospect in Mel Kuyper Jr.'s latest rankings. I mean, he's been on the draft radar since before he was eligible. Um, so that'll be a good challenge for the front. Um, Malik Washington is a wide receiver uh, who's had a lot of production. Um, and Bryce Gallagher, uh, a linebacker in the middle, um, who has also been super involved uh, early on. But, I mean, you look at it and usually you're used to kind of not seeing star players when you look at Northwestern. You look at it as kind of a collection of very solid players who, you know, the sum of their parts is greater than the individuals. Uh, it hasn't quite come together like that this year. And I think that James Franklin, you know, in, in terms of some of the questions he asked, uh, it seemed like he was facing similar questions to what he got before the Ohio game, before the Central Michigan game. Um, and he, I think he answered those pretty honestly, but he always brought it back to the fact that Northwestern under Pat Fitzgerald can be a tough out. Um, he has a lot of respect for that program, and that's the top priority right now. They were three and nine last year, Daniel. And and I mean, the end of their season last year was just absolutely brutal. 41-14 loss to Minnesota, 35-7 loss to Wisconsin. Uh, they lost to Illinois 47 to 14 in the final game of the season. They've come out of the gates. They went overseas and they picked up that win, but you look at what has happened for this program since then. And I think you know, a lot of people, you know, you don't really expect back-to-back -back down years for Pat Fitzgerald, Pat Fitzgerald's program based on the tr track record. And yet they lose to Duke when they're heavily favored in that matchup. That's a home game. They lose at home again to Southern Illinois when they are way favored in that matchup. Uh, and then they lose last week against Miami of Ohio. And by the way, Southern Illinois, just, just to kind of, emphasize how bad that loss was southern illinois opener was a 64 to 29 loss to incarnate word which is a program i did not know existed until this afternoon so they ended up beating northwestern who comes to happy valley this weekend and to your point it sure does feel like we're talking about the third mac opponent on the schedule because of how northwestern is playing that led to some questions about player usage and about Drew Aller, the quarterback who's four for four. The next snap he takes will burn his red shirt. And when you're looking at a 25-plus point margin, a, a victory being anticipated means we're anticipating a lot of Drew Aller, right? And, and what did you make of, of his answer to the question about uh, pre-designing some, some opportunities for Drew? Because we've heard it from him the last couple of, of home games that they wanted to get him involved for second quarter series. It didn't transpire that way. We saw him later in the game. Not a lot of clarity on it today on a Tuesday. Yeah, James Franklin said that the the staff hasn't had those those meetings yet about how they're going to rotate players in, uh, what exactly that looks like. Um, he kind of he took the scope of the question and widened it a little bit. And he kind of said that you know because he was asked directly about do you want to get Drew Aller a series in the second quarter, in the third quarter? Are you, are you planning on that? Um, and he widened the scope a little bit to bring in, 
you know, the fa- the rotations at left guard and right tackle and and other positions. Obviously, I think the caveat there is that that's not the quarterback. Um, that's a little bit different um, when you're talking about rotations. Um, but he said that they haven't made those calls yet. They'll you know they'll they'll get together and and put together the game plan. Um, but I guess you know I am interested because. You know, the way that those games went, um, Penn State has just kind of, you know, had those hot starts against those Mac opponents. And then that second quarter is where things would kind of get gummed up a little bit, um, you know, where you would kind of need them to to work through some things. So it didn't quite put it together. Um, So I'm really interested to see, you know, what that looks like, um, because if this game goes the way that a lot of people expect it to go, there should be some opportunities Um, but I think that, you know, I think we've talked a lot about in some of these games, okay, we need to see Penn state get out to a fast start and they've done that the past three weeks. Um, I think that what you want to see from them, you know, at this point before this next round of big 10 play is all right, we've we've seen the fast starts. Can you sustain them? Um, and I think if they sustain them, then that opens the door for you know James Franklin and Mike Yersich and really Manny Diaz too to to get creative with personnel, get young guys in earlier, um, and kind of see what you can do from there. And the question with Aller is, will we see one of those moments where may come after a touchdown drive led by Sean Clifford? It may come after a three and out for the offense, but is it the fifth, sixth series of the game in the second quarter, halfway through that quarter, and, and he's coming out with the offense, and then the next series, it's it's he's not out there, but you, where you can clearly see that this was the plan, and that's kind of what James Franklin seemed to be referencing, preparing for Ohio, preparing for Central Michigan, that it was very much regardless of the scoreboard. I think they had optimism about how those games would turn out, but it was more so, hey, he's going to get his looks in this game, and it's going to come in this moment, and we, we, we're going to manipulate the situation to make sure it happens. They haven't done that in the second quarters. James Franklin hasn't revealed exactly why they have not done that. But it's something I think we'll all be looking toward against Northwestern if it's more of a not looking for the moment where, okay, it's clearly now the, the time to put in your backup quarterback in college football because this is the moment where teams do that. We want to see, hey, how is how is uh, James Franklin maybe looking and how is Mike, Sir, Mike Yersich maybe looking to get this young quarterback involved, A, to potentially raise certain ceiling aspects of this offense, and B, to make sure that Drew Aller is – functional and completely operable uh, to be a starting quarterback in the thick of big 10 conference play for whatever reason that may need to happen. I think when you, you look back on that Ohio game too, and, and kind of the circumstances that Aller came in on, it does offer a little bit into the, the window of when they're willing to put him in, because I think it was a 19 point game. Um, you know, Clifford didn't go out. It wasn't the thing where he led that uh, he led a touchdown drive. Then they turned the keys over. They were ready. Um, I think it was a punt um, before Aller came in and they kept the first team in. Um, it wasn't a wholesale change. We're, we're taking all the backups, uh, putting all the backups in. I mean, it was the first team offensive line. He had the first team uh, skill talent around him, too. So I think that they want him to, to have comfort uh, with those first teamers. Um, James Franklin was asked today, you know, that Iowa game came up again. Um, is that something that has informed your decision-making on getting Drew Aller and other players reps early? And, you know, he talked about that. They want to make sure that the depth is ready. They want to make sure that these younger players are ready if they're called upon. And this is just part of it. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, Daniel, he said something else there too. He said something else. He said in today's college football, you also got to make sure that guys feel appreciated. So I think, you know, there's also that aspect of it's great to get a lot of depth. It's great to say our our third string guy at this position has experience going into October. It's also something to say our third string guy at this position feels like he's a valued member of the roster and isn't having one eye open towards another campus. He he loves to reference what it's like to to coach college football in, in the year 2022. Um, um, and how things have changed. So there's there's a lot that that's at play uh, when it comes to, I guess, managing uh, the personnel in terms of what he wants this team to be able to accomplish this year, what he wants it to be ready for in case something happens later on, uh, and also having an eye on 2023, 2024, uh, not only building depth for this year, but keeping depth for the program uh, as it moves forward.
Depth was a little bit challenged last Saturday on the offensive line. Hunter Norzad not available. James Franklin, when asked about that today, qualified it as bumps and bruises. We'll take that. It gives us some insight into it being an injury issue. We did see Hunter Norzad in that second game against Ohio uh, stay down on the ground for a bit, go to the medical tent, looked like a lower body issue. Uh, during that matchup against Ohio, he was at right guard. He was at left guard. He was at center doing a lot, essentially serving the, the number two role at three different interior offensive line positions in his second game since joining the program from Cornell. And yet limited against Auburn, James Franklin phrased it as probably would have been able to play last Saturday, but they felt like they would have gained more from him being able to recover a bit from whatever he's dealing with and then come back this week. They're, they're hopeful uh, to, to, to be more full go and be able to, to, to move forward into Big Ten play healthy. Um, but that meant J.B. Nelson was involved. It didn't mean Landon Tengwall got 73 snaps and, and, and whatever, like Olu Fashano did, or Olu Fashano did, and Juice Scruggs did, and Salim Wormley did. J.B. Nelson was involved there. Sounds like they, he had a very strong week of practice. They liked what they saw from the game. And whether it's Norzad, who, again, they're hopeful will be available for this Saturday's matchup, or J.B. Nelson, Landon Tengwall is going to be seeding some snaps there. Uh, and, and that sounds like it will be the long-term plan moving forward. Didn't necessarily hear that at, at right tackle today because it wasn't discussed, but it sure seems like this is a seven-man offensive line for all intents and purposes going into October. And I think there was a clear question of, would that be a plan that they would fold up and leave in September or carry into Big Ten play? They're going to carry it into Big Ten play. It definitely seems like something that that you you need to get used to. That when you look when you see the offensive line run out there, always got to check who the five are. Got to take a look at left guard. Uh, got to take a look at right tackle. Um, but we talked to Landon Tangwall earlier Tuesday, and he was super complimentary um, of JV Nelson and, and his performance out there. Um, which is definitely something that that you want to hear. Um, I know that talking to Phil Troutwine uh, in the preseason, um, he was impressed with how J.B. Nelson had come in uh, in January, adjusted to what Penn State was asking him to do. Um, Troutwine also mentioned him as someone who has a little bit of guard tackle flexibility um, on the left side. And I think that the fact that he was able to come in, you know, rotate in with Tangwall and, it seemed like the for the most part the offense you know, didn't really miss a beat. That the lap there weren't any glaring lapses in there. Um, I think that bodes well uh, in what you're in terms of what you're doing with having that depth. Because last year they could only go six deep. This year they're going seven, and it you seem pretty comfortable with that. And the fact that if they can get to eight, nine, even ten. Um, you know, that's an yeah, ideal, maybe fantasy scenario, but it's something to, to keep in mind um, with how this offensive line is, is constructed, especially after what we saw last year. J.B. Nelson spent last season at Lackawanna College at the junior college level. Uh, Landon Tengwell was a red shirt last year. Uh, and, and then you throw in the fact that Hunter Norzad was on an Ivy League campus last year. All these guys you know, trying to make their cases, starting Big Ten linemen right now, some, some shared responsibilities. And worth noting here, Daniel, none of these guys carries uh, you know, is out of eligibility coming out of the season. All of them are, are available to come back and, and compete for Penn State again next year. So you're not just talking about uh, you know an Eric Wilson situation last year when he came in from Harvard, was down to his last year of eligibility. You knew whatever you got out of him was going to be all you get out of him. There's a lot more to monitor with a guy like Norzad and, and because of, of what happened uh, last year with, with the red shirt for Tangwall and what, what happened during his Lackawanna career with COVID, you've got a lot of banked eligibility between uh, J.B. Nelson and Landon Tangwall as well. Something to monitor this season and moving ahead. Uh, hey, when we look at the defensive line, guy who's been missing from the equation through four weeks is Smith Vilbert. You know, last time we saw him in a game, he collected all three of his career sacks against Arkansas down in Tampa in the Outback Bowl. Um, to this point, both him and defensive tackle Koziah Izzard have been, you know, stuck on the uh, the practice field in terms of all their action. We've seen them on game days for home matchups. By the time the team comes out in uniform, you know, they're in their jerseys and shorts and sneakers. Uh, they have been, again, full participants in every practice we saw. They have not traveled to road games. And when directly asked about Smith Vilbert today, James Franklin, as, as much as we've heard publicly about the situation, uh, said he, he didn't want to announce anything publicly. He wanted to have uh, 
conversation with his player before going down that road. Uh, but but right now, he, he basically said he was unavailable. He said he was proud of the way he was handling himself on the practice field. He announced that Smith Bilbert was one of the de- developmental squad defensive players of the week last week. Landon Tangwall told us today that, that he's giving that starting offensive line a real run for their money on a weekly basis. But, you know, this is kind of what we saw for Akeem Beeman last year, active during the practice practice sessions, not active on game days. Don't have any more clarity on this, but clearly James Franklin, when he says he's proud of the player, it sounds like they're at least trending in the right direction. I don't know if that means Smith Bilbert's going to be rushing the quarterback. We'll have to get a look at practice and see if he's out of a scout team jersey on Wednesday. It's a little bit more, I wouldn't call it clarity, but it's a little more information um, as opposed to earlier this month when we just got kind of a, a standard no comment, um, not ready to talk about it. So, I mean, we'll we'll see. Um, you know, I think that Franklin today when talking about the pass rush brought up that Amin Vanover has really stepped up. I think the the phrasing was that the light has come on. Um, and then when you look at what Deny Dennis Sutton has done um, as well, you know, I mean, Smith Vilbert's absence, you know, hasn't really stood out. Obviously, that can change uh, with one or two injuries, um, an ill-timed targeting penalty somewhere. And the, we saw last year that you really need as many bodies as you can have um, on that defensive front. Um, you know, because I is there a similar situation on the inside um, with guys like Devon Elise, Zane Durant, Jordan Vandenberg. Um, you know, the, the absence hasn't been noticeable, but that could change easily. So you know, we'll see if they're out there in, their, in the scout team numbers um, next week. I know that Northwestern has a couple uh, couple good defensive linemen um, that you know, we'll, we'll be looking for, uh, those numbers. But we'll, we'll have a little bit more information tomorrow night after practice. One other note to get to before we get you out of here, Daniel, and, and bring in Tyler Calvaruzzo to break down some recruiting conversation. I know you're writing off of this today. Um, we already spent some time talking about Drew Aller, and maybe that's the story of Sean Clifford's Penn State career right now. He's doing some really strong things, but the topic of conversation seems to be the 18-year-old that he shares that room with. And you understand why when we've gotten what we've gotten from Drew Aller in a short sample size, when we know what we know uh, when he got to campus as the kind of prospect he is at the position – but I thought Sean, uh, the Sean Clifford comments today from James Franklin about how is the six-year senior version of Sean Clifford different than the fifth-year senior version of Sean Clifford. It was a bit enlightening. It tells you a little bit about how things are, are going and, and where Franklin sees room for more improvement from a guy who started 37 games for him. Yeah, I, I thought it was some really good insight into Clifford. I mean, when we talk about him, a lot of the a lot of the conversation center out centers around, well, we know what he is. He is what he is at this point. He's a sixth year guy. We we've seen it for the past four years, but James Franklin brought up that uh, Clifford has been very even keeled this year. Um, you know, we've talked about it coming into these games. All right. Is Sean Clifford going to come in composed? Is he going to be a little too jacked up? Is he going to let his emotions uh, get the best of him early on um, or even later in games at key junctures? And, we haven't really seen that this year. And James Franklin has noticed that as well. Um, from a statistical standpoint, he brought up the completion percentage being up. Uh, it's at 64% right now, which would be trending to a career high uh, for Sean Clifford. Franklin thinks it should be a little bit higher. Um, it could be too, uh, if Clifford got a little bit of help from those wide receivers. Um, and if some of the if some of his ball placement was a little bit better. Um, Franklin also brought up something that we've talked about on here where, um, you know, there haven't really been the low lows, um, that we've seen in terms of those, those backbreaking mistakes. Um, so Franklin hasn't seen Clifford get too low after things. He hasn't seen him get too high after his successes, which there've been a decent number of this year. I mean, he's responsible for 12 touchdowns, uh, only one interception, zero fumbles. Um, and Franklin thinks that those things are related um, that even keeled kind of stems from Clifford being mature enough to handle those when things are going well, handling when things don't go well, um, and being able to to stay centered, being mature, um, and kind of being able to to pilot this team and and being steady back there. So it was some good insight, um, and I was. It's always interesting to hear a you know a coach talk about a six year quarterback and kind of say something new um, that we haven't really heard before. Um, so I think that things are, are trending well uh, for Clifford in terms of his overall play this year, 
um, you know, what we've seen versus our expectations. And it sounds like that's being reflected inside the building as well. Yeah. And the question becomes, you know, when you don't have a lot of new stuff on Sean Clifford, everything feels new with Drew Aller. Everything seems possible with Drew Aller. And until you're proven otherwise, it's easy to let your imagination trend in that positive direction with the number one quarterback prospect in the country. I think that's part of this even killed nature. Good on Sean Clifford for handling that dynamic. He knew what he was getting into when he decided to stick around. Uh, Drew Aller wasn't going anywhere. Drew Aller was going to show up on his doorstep in January. And by all accounts, including from from Drew Aller's parents, uh, Sean has really done his part to to expedite uh, Aller's uh, progress here as a true freshman. Uh, obviously to the point now where people think that he should be playing over number 14. So uh, we'll learn a lot about that in, in the next few days and, uh, and and head into this bye week and, and figure out where this quarterback situation is. Uh, expect to see uh, Drew Aller get his opportunities on Saturday with the way this game goes. Uh, Daniel, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. We'll have our predictions and preview episode. We'll get into more uh, on this Northwestern squad um, because, yes, they're struggling. But as you mentioned, there are some, some key players that Penn State's going to have to contend with. We'll catch up with you real soon, though. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Let's bring in our other uh, colleague from Lions247.com. He is our recruiting reporter, recruiting insider, Tyler Calvaruzzo. Joins us right now back on the podcast. You heard from him last week going into a home matchup. Uh, Not a huge turnout, as we had discussed, but... Tyler, there were some headliners on campus. First and foremost, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. You know, a- anytime I get the chance to come on here and talk ball with you, Ty, it's a good day. So uh, I'm doing good, man. All right, wonderful. We love to hear that. And uh, Edwin Joseph was, uh, you know, one of the main attractions from a recruiting standpoint on Saturday. We got eyes out uh, on him when the team arrived at Beaver Stadium. Seemed to be enjoying himself. I know you've done uh, your diligence since Edwin Joseph left town. He's a, a three-star prospect out of Chaminade Madonna High School in South Florida. Uh, a guy that's really coming on the recruiting scene. And what did the Nittany Lions do to make him think uh, about them as an option? A lot of positive vibes coming out of that visit. I really think Penn State just continued to do what it has been doing with him over the last, I'd say, maybe you know, month at this point. They're really pushing that. Hey, look, you're fit in this offense. We like your speed. We like your catching ability. We like your route running ability. And his he the biggest thing I would say with Joseph over the weekend is that he got to see the utilization of the wide receivers in the offense against Central Michigan. And while it wasn't necessarily a prolific day. For the wideout, no one really lit up the stat sheet, but he saw the route trees, he saw the concepts, and the general takeaway was that that plays to his strengths. So that's obviously a plus for Penn State. The other big thing that Penn State, I would say, was a feather in its cap in this visit is that Joseph got to continue to further his relationship with Mike Yurchitz and Stubblefield. And those have been his two main points of contact throughout this recruitment. And there have been a good relationship between them. For a while, but getting on campus, you know, having those conversations in person as Joseph's recruitment is kind of, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty of it. It was big for Penn State. So, you know, I talked about this the last time I was on with Joseph that Miami offering changed this recruitment. There's no doubt about it. You know, once the Canes jumped in, there became a pretty strong pull for him to stay home. And that pull is still there. It's still very much there even after the visit. So what I say, Penn State's in the lead after the official. I wouldn't, but I would say it did a good job of putting itself right there in the mix. This is a close recruitment, you know, and Joseph's getting new offers seemingly every day at this point too. Auburn jumped in South Carolina last night offered. 
So he's getting the, all these fresh opportunities and what has been a pretty busy month for him. But right now, it's a battle between Penn State and Miami. I think Miami still has a slight, slight edge coming out of the visit, but Penn State really closed the gap. And you got to keep in mind here, it was the leader for a while. So there is that attraction from Joseph and his camp, and that was kind of you know reinforced this weekend. So we'll keep an eye on this one. We'll see where it goes. It's another example of Florida recruiting. You know, that's a term that we've been able to drop a lot here this year. Well, I'll tell you what, he returned home to that region to a, a bit of a different reality and a yeah. different aura around those Miami Hurricanes. I know people were disappointed about how things turned out for Miami on that on that road trip to Texas A&M the week prior. But when you lose at home to Middle Tennessee by 14 points and pretty much get boat raced out of your own building, that's going to raise some flags. It's a new coaching staff. We, we've said before, prospects don't make decisions based on one game. But considering some of the head-to-head -head things going on between Penn State and the Miami Hurricanes and some of the guys that maybe Miami's interested in that are committed to Penn State and some of the guys that are not committed yet that are looking at both schools, as a Penn State fan, you're not actually you're not really going to cry for this coaching staff if they have some struggles over the course of, of this uh, season. You mentioned the wide receiver play and, and, and Joseph keeping a close eye on that during the game. You caught up with a tight end and, you know, Brent Strains really ha ha has had a nice start to this season. That continued a couple touchdowns um, on Saturday against Central Michigan. And one of the great names here on the visitor list last week, uh, Luca Puccinelli, uh, saw something that uh, he liked a lot in the tight end room. And, and by the way, that's something we've heard from guys like Theo Johnson when they visited in the past, from Brent Strange when they visited in the past. There always seems to be a tight end on the field that tight end prospects in the stands like watching at Penn State. Yeah, Puccinelli's first time back on campus since he was in Happy Valley in July for Lash Bash. He got the chance to come up for that, worked out for the staff before, and got invited back for the Central Michigan game. Really liked what he saw out of the tight ends in person. Another guy who has been, you know, monitoring his fit in Penn State's offense from afar and then getting on campus and seeing what it's like in person. And Puccinelli has kind of maybe – I don't know if unique is the right word, but he's been following Penn State a lot because Tyler Warren is a Virginia guy, and, you know, he knows him, and he's had his eye on what Penn State's tight end room is doing. So, yeah, Puccinelli, you know, no offer right now from the Nittany Lions. He's a guy who's interested. And the thing you have to keep in mind with Penn State's tight end recruiting moving forward is that, you know, that's one of the positions they can recruit at a really high level for a multitude of reasons. So, you know, we're going to have to see where Puccinelli falls on the board. At the end of the day, there's a lot of competition. There are a lot of interest and offers and a lot of tight ends around the nation. And that's going to be another position that Penn State is really competitive at in 2024. You know, you mentioned something kind of interesting about Joseph, just going back to him real quick, about how he returned to a new reality in Miami. And I, he returned to a kind of a new reality in another sense as well, just besides the, the resulting at the middle of Tennessee. So think about this. Joseph gets to Penn State and he sees a packed house against Central Michigan. Now, I know Miami was playing middle Tennessee, over the weekend, I know that's not really a huge draw for that fan base, but think about the attendance that Miami gets at its games and the atmosphere there. Think about what Tyler Van Dyke said about those home game atmospheres and how he has to go on the road to get more of the college experience. And then you compare that with what Joseph just experienced at Penn State. That really, you know, the whole he was thrilled with the entire game day atmosphere. So I think that's another thing that Penn State got the chance to sell. And I think that kind of hit home with him. And if you're going to get a Florida kid on campus for a game, might as well get it out of the way in September before it gets too darn cold around here. Yeah. Uh, they'll figure that out when they get to campus. They'll get some jackets and all that. But uh, nice nice timing to get a kid from South Florida up to a game. No it was doubt. a pretty beautiful Saturday up here. Um, an in-state defensive lineman made the trip uh, on Saturday. He's a guy, uh, 2024. I, I got You need to set the record straight for me because I'm like wary of saying his last name. David... I think it's Polly Polly. That's how I've been saying it. He, he hasn't corrected me, so I'm assuming it's okay, right. Okay, well, that's a good sign. That's a good <laughs> yeah, sign. Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't said anything, so I'm assuming it's right. But, yeah, in-state kid, really high level of interest in Penn State. And, you know, we've kind of touched on where he's at in his recruitment for a while now, ever since really that offer rolled in. And Saturday was a really special day for him for a couple of reasons. One, it was his first ever Penn State game in person. That's something he's wanted to do pretty much since he was a kid. So for him getting to campus, that was really just an awesome day for him. And it was his second ever college football game. His first one was the weekend before when he went for Temple and Rutgers. So, you know, he, this is kind of like a, a brave new world for him that he's being introduced to. So he, he's really loving this process right now. He loves Penn State. He really relished the opportunity to get on campus, catch up with the staff. Because, like I said, the last time he was on campus was late July for that camp where all he really was focused on was just balling out and getting the attention of John Scott Jr., which is which is what he did. I mean, that placed him pretty firmly on the radar.
Now Penn State's going to be continuing to do its homework because you have the camp performance, you have the early season junior, early junior season film. Excuse me. Now where does he stand at the end of his junior season? How's that tape look with you know a full full breakdown? So he's going to be a name we're talking about throughout the cycle. Definitely one to know because his interest in Penn State it's there and it's going to be there, no matter what really. <laughs> So the 2024 defensive lineman to know How about a 2023 defensive lineman who reopened his recruitment over the weekend. Rodney Laura uh, announced that he is no longer a member of the Virginia Cavaliers 2023 recruiting class. And I want to emphasize does not have a Penn State offer in his back pocket right now. But Brian Doan had reported coming off of that decommitment that Penn State was very much in play to get him up here to campus. He's a New Jersey native. Uh, he's down at Woodbur Woodbury Forest in Virginia. Um, we know how prevalent Penn State has been on the Virginia recruiting trail. The coaching staff was well represented down there to see Birchmeyer and Donka and Rojas last Friday. Um, what do we need to know about this recruitment going forward? Because clearly this is still an area of the recruiting class position-wise um, that, that they still have some work to do. You mentioned his decommitment from Virginia, and the fact of the matter is Penn State's interest is a pretty big reason why that decommitment occurred. Penn State, Michigan, and Tennessee. Michigan showing its renewed interest, and Tennessee showing some new interest, and then Penn State being in the mix, that prompted that decision. He, he's really looking into those three. And Penn State got the chance to go down and check him out. It was in Virginia on Friday night checking in on the commits. Franklin and Sider were down there. They got to see him, and Penn State likes Laura. I'm not, it's not necessarily a situation where it's going to be knocking down the door for him after seeing him, but they like the skill set there and they're going to be looking into his tape and just continuing to evaluate him. We're going to see if he gets to campus this week. And I know he's trying to make the trip. We're, we're going to see if that comes to fruition and it could be a potentially recruitment altering trip, depending on how things play out. You know, if he gets up there and Penn state issues the offer, there's going to be a new leader in that recruitment. I know Penn State and a lot of other schools recruiting more are looking into his length. You know, he's not necessarily the longest defensive lineman out there. And, you know, I know some people hear that and they're thinking, oh, this kid's not long. You know, I'm not sure if I want that on my team. Well, the fact of the matter is Rodney Lohr is a power five talent. You know, not, not every prospect is a perfect prospect right off the bat. He has a lot of good traits. He was just committed to an ACC school. He's got three really good programs looking at him now. So, Bottom line, this kid's a power five talent, and Penn State likes him. So we got to see where this one goes. And it, we're going to be keeping a really close eye on whether he makes it to campus this weekend and seeing what happens if he does make it to campus. You caught up uh, because you were on, on uh, out at some high school action last weekend. You got up with a, a couple of standout 2024s out of New Jersey um, who are firmly on, on, on you know Penn State's radar. Emmanuel Ross out of Red Bank Catholic. Uh, the other Michael Thomas the third uh, from Tom's River Donovan Catholic. Uh, I guess let's start with what did you see out of these guys on the field? I believe we got to, to get, see both of them in action during some prospect work this summer. What did it look like with pads on and what's the reciprocated interest look like from their end with Penn state? The one thing I'll say with Ross is that he plays a lot faster than his, uh, his testing times and his track times. I mean, he's so long and he's a strider out there, man. He has good ball skills. He tracks the ball. Well, gets off the line pretty well. I got the chance to catch up with him after the game as Red Bank Catholic. They beat Donovan Catholic 14 to seven. So I got the chance to catch up with the manual and he was saying, you know, look, I'm hearing from Penn state pretty much every day, you know, so we'll feel all over him, all over him. You know, there's a lot of love there between those two. And he'll be returning to campus for the whiteout game along with some of his teammates. I believe he said Davin Bruton, a 2024 linebacker with some early power five offers. He's one of them who's going to be there. And then as for Thomas, you know, I've been monitoring Thomas pretty much since the beginning of his sophomore season. He kind of popped onto my radar as a freshman. And then when I saw he was coming up to camp at Penn State, that really caught my eye. And then he gets the offer and he, his recruitment has kind of blown up a little bit since then. You know, we got offers from Maryland rolling in, Michigan, Rutgers, all those schools showing love. Clemson and Ohio State are starting to reach out, seeing if, you know, maybe they can get him to campus. So he's an intriguing prospect. Donovan Catholic didn't really get him the ball a ton on Friday night. So I didn't really get to see him in space or what he was doing on the edge or anything like that. But there was an instance where it was 14 nothing in the third quarter. Donovan Catholic blocks a field goal. Thomas falls right in Thomas's lap. He gets around the edge and takes the 80 yards for a touchdown. I mean, that getaway speed was clearly elite. I know he's going up against a bunch of special teamers on, on a field goal, but still, I mean, for him to get to the edge, no one had a chance after that. So Thomas is interested in Penn State. He likes the staff. He likes the school. And the Donovan Catholic coaching staff likes Penn State as well. So that's going to help 
them throughout this recruitment. So Thomas the third, definitely a name to know out of South Jersey. I'm actually probably going to see him again this weekend just because I'm I'm planning on heading up to MetLife to se- check out St. Joe's Montvale and Donovan Catholics, their opponent this weekend. So I'm probably going to get another dose of Thomas. And, you know, maybe I'll get the chance to catch up with him after this one. A lot of eyes on MetLife last night for Penn State yeah. fans with Saquon Barkley and Micah Parsons. So now they'll have to turn attention back there again because you'll be in town uh, for that matchup, buddy. <laughs> when we look at Car- Carmelo Taylor, um, I, I didn't want to gloss over the fact that he is now a four-star uh, at 24-7 Sports. I know that he's uh, been identified in other parts of the industry as a four-star. He's now there for us. Um, I know it wasn't your decision to make. Uh, let's put that out there. Tyler does not decide what guys are ranked and rated. But um, in hearing the feedback from our team and seeing the results of early season success, why is Carmelo Taylor a four-star? Again, this is a guy who going into last spring really was not on that Power 5 radar. Things have changed in a hurry for him. I think the early season success is a big reason why because we've talked about Taylor as a late bloomer countless times. And what really got him onto the radar was those track times and what he was doing on the track and how he was blowing away people with that speed. Then he goes to camps and runs the 40, you know, at the clip he was running it at. That's what really put him on the radar. And I believe right off the bat, that kind of put him into the mid to high three-star range. And there were still questions at that point about who he was as a receiver because there was still a lot of digging into his tape that had to be done. So as he's, you know, kind of progressed a little bit throughout the summer and now early in his senior season at Patrick Henry, he's put together a lot of good things on tape, you know. You see the speed, obviously. That the, Every time you watch Carmelo Taylor play, you see the speed. You can't miss it. But you see the route running ability coming along. You see the, the hands are getting better. You know, he's not letting the ball get into his body as much as he used to as an underclassman. That's obviously a big plus. He's just an overall better player now than he was at this time last year. So I would say that probably played a role in him being elevated to a four-star status. That and the combination of the speed, I mean, you just can't. It's an elite. He's an elite speed guy. That's the bottom line. And then when you add the football ability to that, that's a four-star prospect. Well, he's there now, uh, and and he's a guy. It's fun to watch on the football field at the high school level. We'll see how that translates. Yeah, we'll see what that looks like uh, when when he gets to Happy Valley next year. Um, I I do want to mention it is another game week. It's actually a Big Ten game week here in Beaver Stadium, but. Early read is it's more so Mac level recruiting excitement. Although the home opener drew a good crowd, are you seeing much of a tangible improvement on, on this list in terms of talent depth uh, and headliner names compared to where it was with Central Michigan coming to town? I think it's a decent list. You know, it's a step up from Central Michigan. I would say. You know, we have those names online twenty four seven. We're tracking them down. We're getting them up there as we get confirmations that these kids are going to be on campus. It's a good list. It, you know, it's not doesn't blow you away. And the reason for that is take a look at the October schedule and look at Penn State's home games. You got the whiteout game, then you got Ohio State. Those are going to be the big weekends, the, the huge weekends of the month. Now, getting quality names on campus for this game, you know, it's not like that's happening. But Minnesota and Ohio State are going to be the two huge weekends. So, you know, Penn State's going to get some good guys on campus this weekend, and they're going to do their selling. And, you know, this is a good opportunity for them to introduce some of these guys who are maybe making it up to campus for the first time to what Big Ten football looks like. So, you know, like I said, we'll have names keep rolling in. There are some intriguing in-state names, guys from around the region making it up. So it, it should be a good weekend. You know, this is good. there are some guys on the, this list that Penn State staff likes a lot. So we just really got to stay tuned in what names pop up and who winds up making the trip. But like I said, this weekend's, you know, it's middle of the road, but Minnesota and Ohio State, watch out for those, man. Those are going to be big ones. Yeah, stay tuned to, to how that list develops as confirmations come through. Tyler Caparuso has you covered um, for our VIP subscribers at lions247.com. Um, you mentioned October is going to be a big one. We're going to talk about that in a second with, with our five-star mailbag. Um, but I, I do want to mention with, with, with recruiting uh, for Penn State right now, 2023 class. We haven't covered it as much because a lot of it has been on the 2024. Um, how are things developing how much room do you think is left in the end and how much do we need to be locked into this class still before we really start to shift that focus toward the 2024 group entirely? I think September was a good month for Penn state when it comes to 2023 recruiting on a couple of fronts. I mean, you get Zion Tracy, you get that commitment. That that was one the staff wanted, you know, after his camp performance, that was a guy they really wanted in the class. You get Edwin Joseph on campus for the official visit. 
you get right back in that recruitment. So the spots in the class, they're still available. <laughs> there, there's, there's still plenty of additions to be made. But at the same time, you know, we're not talking about like double-digit kids being added to the class at this point. You know, the, the spots are dwindling, but at the same time, they're there. So it was a good month getting Tracy, getting Joseph on campus, and also on the evaluation front, you know, getting that early senior season film for the 2023 guys that are about guys like Rodney Lohr, for example, you know, he's a new one that just popped onto the radar and his, some of his tape is a big reason why that has happened. So it's been a big month on the evaluation front, probably more than anything else. And as October goes on, you're, you're still going to see that evaluating going on. And, you know, the focus still being on adding to the 2023 class of the early signing period approaches, you know, obviously there's always going to be stuff going on as the flip front as well. You know, as programs around the country, their season plays out, you start to maybe try and poach a couple kids here and there where you can. But as the as the fall goes on, you know, we transition from September to October and October to November, you're going to see the page turn a little bit because Cooper Cousins has been alone in that 2024 class for a while. And Penn State has made inroads with a lot of their top guys in that class. So the staff is going to want to start to close on those guys. And, you know, getting them on campus for weekends like the whiteout game with Minnesota and Ohio State, I mean, that – that's going to be huge, you know, to get these guys back and be able to sell that environment, just sell the whole atmosphere and, you know, get them back in person for a lot of guys, you know, maybe haven't been around in a while. So as the fall goes on, still going to be plenty of focus on 2023, but I think you're going to see things really, really ramp up in 2024. I don't think Cooper Cousins is going to be alone for much longer, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, we have some crystal balls in for 2024 guys, and they're going to be more coming. That's just how it is. This is that time frame now, mid-season, guys, junior year. This is where you start to see th that spark go with, with, the, uh, with the recruiting class, yeah. and I'm with you. I think you're going to start to see those dominoes fall in, in the next five, six, seven weeks uh, with this 2024 class. Of course, if you can keep avoiding losses, that's going to help build your case uh, to get no some doubt, of these guys yeah. on board. Uh, let's wrap with this. It's a, a five-star mailback question time, and it, and it goes to a, a lot of what we were just discussing. Um, what is the priority – list for Penn State uh, on the recruiting trail in October? I really think just, you know, kind of reiterating what we just said, you know, take your top 2024s, get them on campus and do your best sell job. Make that strong impression on these guys that this is the place for them. That's, you know, how you kind of win the fall in a sense when it comes to 2024 recruiting. And, you know, on the 2023, 2023 front, Keep evaluating, see if you can find some diamonds in the rough, see if you can maybe generate some flips, generate some interest from guys who are around the country. Because, look, we talk about, you know, wins and losses not being the end-all, be-all in recruiting, but recruits are taking notice of what Penn State is doing right now. It says, you know, especially, you know, you get the hot start, you get the Auburn win. Now you got Northwestern, really the Big Ten gauntlet starting. You go to Michigan and win on the road? I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to open some eyes for sure. And then you have those two big home games in the month. So I think, you know, 2024 is going to be a priority. And then in 2023, you have the combination of the diamonds and the rough being trying to find them and also seeing, hey, look, who can we get who's committed elsewhere right now? Because Penn State does have power on the flip front. Even without this strong start, they have power on the flip front. Now I think they have even more. So there's a lot of moving pieces right now. There's a lot going on. Can I I'll add two things as, as uh, helping with the answer here for, for our mailbag? Um, I, I think you continue to make strides based on what we understand in the NIL department. Yeah. Make sure you are as vocal and transparent as possible, making sure your current commits are well aware of what you're doing and, and what is being set up for next year and, and down the, the road. And then obviously your prior, priority targets, maybe some guys that because of where you are in the NIL conversation two or three months ago, it didn't really meet the qualifications of where they were in their recruitment. If you're at a different spot now, or if you're at a different spot in a couple of weeks from now, it's time to kick those tires again. It's time to circle back. If you can present something that's a little bit different, that's a little more updated, that's a little more tangible, this is the time to do it. You don't want to wait until December 10th to try to make these kind of cases, although you're going to have to do it then as well. But I think guys that you have on board already who have been committed to you, make sure they st stay comfortable in that NIL capacity because it is a new pillar of the recruiting conversation. And then those who are still kind of dangling out there in the wind, wanting to hear from everybody, make sure you're asserting yourself as part of that conversation. I know they want to do it the right way. They don't want to make promises they can't keep. But I wonder now, because of some of the things that are brewing behind the scenes, are they in more of a position 
to make some promises that they couldn't make, say, three months ago when, when people were starting to look around at the NIL scene more. And I'll also say they got an open week on the schedule. And I know people say, well, don't isn't this time for them to spend with their families and maybe go relax? It doesn't work that way in college football. Um, these guys are going to probably have an opportunity to hit the recruiting trail with more emphasis, a little more urgency, uh, and be able to get out and about more. So I think that's something to watch in the in the early few, early week of uh, October uh, before they get back at it and, and get ready to go to Michigan. Uh, Tyler, anything else to throw our way? I know you'll be doing actually every single uh, game week the rest of the way on out, a recruiting comparison. Um, give our, our listeners the, the lowdown on that before these matchups and before we get out of here. Yeah, so that's a good thing I've I've been doing. You know, ever since I was really covering Boston College, I started to take a look at how the opponent stacks up from a recruiting rankings perspective, how those guys were rated coming out of high school. And this week, it, it's probably the most unique one that I'm going to do throughout Big Ten play, just in the sense that everyone knows what Northwestern is academically. That's well documented. And they go after a different kind of kid because of that. And while there are instances – of Northwestern and Penn State crossing paths on the recruiting trail. I mean, we saw back in May with Mason Robinson picking Northwestern over Penn State straight up, and that degree was a big reason why. They do cross paths sometimes, but at, at the same time, there are a lot of instances where Penn State is going after a different kind of kid and Northwestern is going after a different kind of kid, and that's completely fine. Both programs operate on a different spectrum in that way. Both schools operate on a different spectrum. Northwestern has different priorities in a sense. But, yeah, those, those breakdowns, you know, with the star ratings, the composite rankings, the offensive versus defense, you know, the defense versus the offense with uh, with all those stars and the ratings, there, there's a lot of numbers being thrown around. You know, I, I don't like numbers too much, but I bite the bullet, and I, I, get, I get it done for that. So, yeah, I really like doing those breakdowns. I think it's a really good look at how each program recruits, and it's going to keep getting more interesting of an article as you get to the Michigans and the Ohio States of the world and how Penn State's guys, how their composite ratings come out of high school stack up with Ohio State's guys coming out of high school. So that's a fun little bit that I like to do, and I would definitely keep an eye out for that. I'm going to have the Northwestern up, the, the Northwestern article up pretty soon. Yeah, uh, good, good weekly content to look for. Uh, some other weekly content pieces that are up. Daniel Gallen uh, has his breakdown of Northwestern players to know uh, preparing for this matchup against Penn State. Uh, I've got a story up uh, breaking down the snap counts from the previous Penn State game what we kind of learned from that, some of the personnel involvement, and a lot more coming your way as we get ready to get back on the practice field Wednesday with Penn State. Player calls going on throughout the week and, and coverage as it continues uh, all the way to kickoff 3.30 on Saturday. Tyler, always appreciate having you here on the podcast. Look forward to your work upcoming on the site. Looking forward to getting back on with you, man. Appreciate you every time you want to have me. All righty. Uh, much thanks to Tyler. Much thanks to Daniel Gallon and our producer, Lance Glenn. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, I'm Tyler Donahue, stepping aside. We'll talk to you real soon. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.